0: Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. And what I love about Melbourne, before I introduce my guests, is just that sense of discovery, seeing great things, seeing the unexpected and thinking, Um, what's the expression oh my god (laughs) but um, I'm with a lighting designer called Christopher Boots who you've probably seen his work and there was a function at his showroom a week or so ago and it was just a lovely uh, showcase to see Christopher's work so welcome to the show Christopher. Oh thank you Stephen. You were talking about it um, before we go into your background you were talking about Australia being a, a very resourceful country, even though it's very small, designers tend to come up with really ingenious ways of getting around things. Tell me a little bit more about that. How do you see Australian design generally? Well, I think uh, because we're sort of quite
1: geographically divorced from our Northern Hemisphere cousins, um we don't, we don't have those kinds of opportunities they have in their sort of larger markets mm. to access things like manufacturers and, you know, um, they, they've had, you know, hundreds of years of artisanal mm. practice that sort of gets handed down through guilds, through families, through person person through workshops, all of that, you know, mm. and that's a really beautiful history that um, that they've had to, to work on. But uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> in in Australia, we've had yeah. to actually work with what we have, you know, and, I mean, a very... I guess sort of simplistic version would be, you know, looking at things like the Hills Hoist and the Victor mower and everything. Yeah. And, and and they came up from that almost kind of like bush mechanic kind of yeah. like aspect because that's all, that's all we had at the time, you yeah. know. And I think that sort of carries through with some Australian design in terms of being um, a, a really fresh take on, on, on problem yeah. solving because essentially that's what design is. We have a problem. We have a need, and we need to solve it. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think Australians are really ingenious and clever to be able to solve those problems in ways that aren't
0: that, that sort of aren't weighed down by that baggage of history. So yeah. I think it's a two edged sword. So, Christopher, you've had an unlikely beginning to design. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, when you graduated from when you left school, mm-hmm. you um, did an arts course where mm-hmm. you um, studied linguistics, English, and cinema. Mm. Well, that
1: that carried on for about a year and a half, and to be honest, Mm -hmm. I just wasn't challenged enough. It was really boring, and I just decided, at that point anyway, that um, academia was really doing my head in. And I, you know, as much as I enjoyed it, yes. I was like, it's not challenging me enough. So I took. You, was it also you, you liked working with your hands? Or? Yeah, since, since I was a kid, I'd always been experimenting. Um, I got a welder for my 18th birthday. So I started making my own furniture. Um, I made my first lights when I was 15, like casting concrete and x-rays. And so I love that, you know, that experimentation of material. And I had no idea what industrial design was until, excuse me, a good friend of mine, her brother was an industrial designer and Mm we are at a party and he's like, you you should do industrial design. I was like, what's that? Mm I had no idea.
0: It is an area that is a bit hazy because it covers so many different areas, industrial design. Well, it covers everything. Essentially,
1: it covers... One, one, uh, I guess, um, term for it would be to cover anything that sort of humans really need to a- interact with, you know? Mm-hmm. So whether or not it's that pen you're using, the car you're getting into, the seat you're sitting on, industrial designers need to cover ergonomic aspects, economic aspects, social, cultural, mm-hmm. um, manufacturing. Like, all of these kinds of, like, areas come under, I guess, the umbrella of industrial design.
0: So, Um, Christopher, you went to um, Swinburne University Mm -hmm. and studied design. And then when you left, how do you decide which area of design to specialise in? Like, did lighting just fall in your lap? Was it something that... Pretty much. Pretty much. (laughs) How did something like that start? Because, you know, you could go in any direction. You could say, let's go into furniture, products. It's so broad. It's so So broad. So how... Tell me the story. Well, um... I'd visited a, a
1: lighting designer by the name of Jeffrey Mance, and uh, the know, late Jeffrey, the Mance. late Jeffrey Mance, bless him. And um, during one of our, um, what do you call it? When they take you on little excursions out in university, you know, go meet a studio mm-hmm. kind of person and everything. We went to see Jeffrey's uh, showroom, and I just fell in love with with his process because I remember him uh, actually sort of telling us. We're all there and we've got our lecturers and there was a group of forty of us and most of the people were disinterested, which I was kind of shocked and I was just so excited to see someone experiment with materials, really
0: just not fear for the, those these kinds of trials. Um for those who don't know Jeffrey Mance, um uh, Dean who's taken over from Jeffrey was has been on this show mm-hmm. and uh Uh, Jeffrey Manns came up with these beautiful twig lights, almost Mm. twig. Yeah, the hedgehog. Hedgehog balls. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, Very quirky. So that was instrumental for you. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Um, As I I was saying, um, we went to meet Jeffrey, didn't think much of it, and just went, wow, that's really inspiring. And then uh, after I graduated, uh, a good friend of mine, Volker Haug, who is also a lighting designer here in Melbourne, asked me and he said, Oh, do you, do you know Jeffrey, Jeffrey Mann?" So I was like, yeah, I've met him last year. And he goes, Oh, do, do you want to go check out his little studio with me? And I was like, yeah, let's go. Mm. So we went down one day and literally from the first day we walked in, Jeffrey was like, Oh, this is really good timing. Do you think you can start work? We really need people to do this, this, and this. So you started work with Jeffrey pretty much from the first day we walked in. How amazing. It <laughs> was pretty serendipitous. Um, so that really started, I guess, the, my foray into lighting. And how many years did you stay? Oh, uh, well, <clears throat> I would have started there around about 2005. Um, and I was with Jeffrey. Jeffrey started getting ill um, in 2006. I, I, after about a year and a half of being at Jeffrey's, I just went, I really need to go travel really need to go to europe and i took a big six month trip i said jeff i just need to do this and he understood it he understood artisans he understood the need for that kind of cultural oxygen what was your mission uh the ultimate reason to go there was to see a solar eclipse in turkey um with a few thousand friends from around the world (laughs) Uh and um if, if anyone's really interested in uh chasing eclipses as it is it's a really wonderful way to plan your travel around the world to see these kinds of places and to watch an astrological phenomenon that you know as humans we're not going to see for much longer because Mm. as the distance between the sun and the moon grows Mm. we won't see eclipses in a few hundred years
0: so christopher from that experience coming back here how does a how do you establish a lighting business? Well, I um, when I'd come back from that trip,
1: and I just said, Jeff, you know what? I really just want to, I really want to professionalise. I don't want to be in a studio anymore. blah, 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 yeah. blah, 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 getting all hoity-toity. Yeah. And he was like, Oh, stay, stay, stay. And anyway, Jeff became, um, Jeff fell ill um, with with cancer, so it was a process of just starting to actually manage his business between hospital and everything so it was it was a really trying time and we had just no idea what was going on um and dean who you mentioned before uh, dean was a very good friend of mine from high school and we're like oh you know we've got to sort of manage this and have something happening and um and on jeff's deathbed he he asked us to to sort of run run it for him because Mm -hmm. he said look it's really not about the money um, you guys get it, you get yeah. the feeling. It's about this making and the craftsmanship. So, you
0: stayed for a while.
1: So, we stayed for a while. So, um, so we carried that forward, and I stayed for about four years, four and a half years, um, which was great. And to be honest, to be 25 years old, needing to manage something which was so much bigger was like. I don't know if you can see this diagram. The learning learning curve curve is vertical, let me tell you. It's not gradual. It was vertical. So over those years, you know, we we did everything. We had to move studios, pay tax, re-establish client connections, start new ones, do designs. It was a huge undertaking for us at that
0: point. And when
1: does there come a point where you say, I want to do my own collection? Well, it's sort of been wanting to do my thing for a while and... I guess my intention was to see that sort of vehicle as a place where other designers could come through and happen. But, um, you know, when you're in business with someone else, it's a, it's a group decision. So, um, so that never really carried through. And obviously it came to a point where we were going to diverge and, um, and then carried through with Mance, which was great. And, you know, I really needed to take off as I call it a white year. Mm. So, in in terms of having that time off for me it's really important to you know drink lots of green tea do lots of yoga just Mm -hmm. have lots of sketchbooks and so over that period in um in 2011 Mm -hmm. i spent the time uh prototyping testing
0: um you know working on my graphics um christopher when you start a business and ultimately that's probably what Mm. was in the back of your mind who were you aiming to Uh, attract what market what type of lighting i mean it's easy to say look i want to do start up a lighting studio which you have successfully done now and you supply lights right around the world but how do you i mean what's the voice that you wanted to bring forward to be honest it was really self-interested i just said you know
1: i'm not going to make anything unless i have it in my own home and i'm going to make something that i love
0: so mainly focusing on residential
1: yeah Originally, originally. um, I mean, the work did tend to take a larger sort of scale. So I don't know if you've seen some of the Mm. work,
0: Stephen, but... um, Let's have a look. Here we have... um, What's this one called? We're Um, looking at um, some wonderful images. uh, Very almost contemporary versions of chandeliers.
1: Pretty much. The first image we're looking at is called the uh, branch chain amino acid, which was sort of based on, obviously, the structure of amino acids. Mm -hmm. And uh, just using... Um, these kinds of basic sort of
0: modular elements to be able to grow an item as organic as possible. So the branch chain amino acid, for instance, can extend to several links yes, and you can create absolutely. it as large as you like. Yeah, we've, we've had some many exciting variations with clients and mm-hmm. I
1: guess the position of the work was based on being able to make to somebody's requirements. So as much as there's a collection people will always come forwards going, well, can we get it in 24-karat gold or mm-hmm. can we get it in, you know, like a 5-metre length or so forth. So that sort of dialogue with clientele, I guess, um, is, is sort of the seed element mm-hmm. behind the collection. Was this the first design that came through? This was part of the, um, the original collection. Uh, collection, which was about six or seven pieces. And the next one here is uh, is the bucky, which is a triangular, um, kind of almost blocky kind of element, um, and the inside is done with a gold leaf kind of treatment. The so it almost looks quite bird-like.
0: Mm. Is it
1: deliberate? Well, the the intention behind bucky, it was named after, obviously, Buckminster Fuller, right. who was mathematician, designed the geodesic dome, etc. The original intention behind this fixture was that all the um, triangular points would magnetise together so you could create a fixture that would kind of, you know, again, be a modular element, but create something bigger. Through the design phase, that wasn't
0: actually possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of become this standalone kind of fixture. And if you go back, you've got a model mm-hmm. um, posing next to this light fitting mm-hmm. wearing a crown, and she's very ornately decked out. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit of gold leaf on her Gold chest. leaf epaulets epaulets
1: yep what's the connection Well, some of the photographs that you see here Stephen um, were taken in 2013 Mm -hmm. and the the intention behind all of it was to provide a sense of scale as you have models within it's it sort of gives you um, an idea of how large these fixtures are each of these people that come through are sort of characters in a little bit of a play so we sort of touch on some archetypes such as, um, you know, ancient Greek gods and goddesses um, Diana here, actually, she sort of had this almost militaristic
0: kind of kind of feel um, so we're sort of touching on a little bit of you know... So Christopher, film wasn't a complete waste at university, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no, so- it wasn't it wasn't, I. Um, it's a really good point, Stephen, I didn't even think about that <laughs> And here we're looking at um, a light thing that probably has become, in a sense, your signature piece. Mm -hmm. It looks like this uh, flaming ring of crystals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Quite extraordinary. And most people, or I would assume most people would have seen uh, those beautiful discs in Mm -hmm. a lot of retail outlets, particularly Mm -hmm. jewelers, I've noticed. Jewelers Mm -hmm. particularly like Mm -hmm. um, to use those lights. So that's called the diamond ring, Mm -hmm. obviously inspired by a diamond ring. Well, um, I mean, I've always had an interest in all things
1: geological. Ever mm-hmm. since I was a kid, I collected crystals like from when I was mm-hmm. about eight years old. It was probably the first mm-hmm. time I touched a crystal, and I was really ensconced by the patterning that would actually occur. And, I mean, for me, that access to nature is something that I feel that we're kind of missing, mm-hmm. mostly in today's world. And I like to be able to sort of bring that back to, you know, how often do people... You know, get the opportunity to touch things that you know come straight from nature.
0: Um, the diamond ring itself is constructed of all these quartz crystals around a frame. Ma- I mean, must the work involved in doing something like that is quite horrendous? It's quite laborious. Is yes, it? it's quite laborious, and I guess that's how many how many crystals would take one piece?
1: Well, it sort of depends thousands. on the scale. Yeah, d- certainly hundreds, if not thousands, depending on the size. So you've you've got almost this. I don't, I don't even know what a reference could be, whether it's crochet or some needlepoint or, you know, mm. some other kind of similar thing. But there's a dedication to e- to each crystal to be looked at, to be sorted, to be checked, to be scaled. And then the person behind the work also needs to understand um, the sort of textures involved throughout nature, you know. <laughs>
0: It looks like an absolute nightmare to produce in this country. (laughs) We were talking previously how difficult it is to produce Mm -hmm. uh, things in Australia, whether it's furniture, clothing Mm -hmm. or lighting. Where are these produced now? These are all produced in our studio in Fitzroy. Amazing. And that's how we're going to
1: keep it because... And you personally put things together? Or you've got staff? Well, I have staff. Um, At the moment we're pushing around about 20 staff. Mm. Um, But... My, my work is primarily based on, um, on prototyping, testing things out, always doing the first one or two,
0: um, research and development, and obviously lots of people management. Um, Christopher, why are you keen to keep it in Australia? Because to, control or, or quality? Well, to, be honest, to be honest, the reason to do all this is because I'm lifestyle-based.
1: You know, we mm. could very easily go have a workshop in, you know, Campbellfield, which mm. is a far flung industrial suburb of Melbourne where the rent would be really cheap, but would lose that beauty of sort of being integrated within, mm. you know, a relatively, um, creative community in inner city Melbourne. So you know we're based in Fitzroy. We're based in Fitzroy, which is only about one to two kilometres um, mm-hmm. from Melbourne, which is one of Melbourne's earliest suburbs. It's always had a history of sort of creatives and people kind of coming together. Um,
0: there's a variety of like things in the area, and and who are your clients mainly? Is it um, anyone who comes off the street, or is it architects, designers who commission certain pieces? We we generally don't do off the street.
1: Um, mm-hmm. It is architects and interior designers that really specify the work. Um, I'd probably say a little over half of our work is export-orientated. And where you're s- selling to? Uh, mostly the United States. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a more developed economy, um, and people just sort of get it. They, they get the refinement have... of it, and I find Australia a bit too, sometimes a bit, you know, it's it's a bit too European for their tastes almost.
0: I would have thought Parisians would adore this work. Have you tried Paris, or is it
1: just... I'm going to Paris next month, so I'll um, I'll knock on a few doors and see how it goes. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, hopefully. What are these called? Okay, now we're looking at a fixture called the ORP, which stands for Oblique Rhombic Prism, um, for the mathematicians who are uh, amongst us. Um, It's a very basic sort of uh, structure. So it's... The way that I've interpreted it is that we have this light that is made from a framework. We either make it in solid brass or um, or aluminium, and the solid brass is usually polished, and the interior of it is lined mm-hmm. with an LED and a diffuser. Um, the National Gallery um, actually acquired a piece last mm-hmm. year, so that's
0: upstairs in their sort of tea rooms. How do you start the process, Christopher? Because um, you know, coming up with new ideas, do you start just by playing with materials in your hand or seeing things or some— to be honest Stephen, some of these things have been ideas in my head
1: for over a decade to be honest like mm-hmm. the diamond ring and, and the orb it's just this idea in my head and all i can see is like this ring with these things glowing or i feel an object or i sense a shape or a form that's where it actually comes from and to be honest the worst thing you can do is read magazines or get inspired, or see other people's work. Mm-hmm. I actually hate it when people go, "Oh, have you seen this?" I'm like, yeah. I don't want to see it. We're already there's all this there's all these ideas everywhere floating around in our superconsciousness. Yeah. I think
0: you, I think you're right. I think you you become fresher if you just focus on what you want to do.
1: Yeah, you just really got to follow your heart and that mm-hmm. kind of knowing. And I think I mean, ultimately, that's where the best design comes from.
0: And do you mind? I mean, there are there things that you you probably develop and you you think they're an extraordinary idea, and they kind of don't go anywhere. Yes, and that must happen to any designer, even if you win, even if there are nine great designs, the tenth one, it might be fantastic, but the market's just not ready for it. Have you done something that you've just been so surprised with, and you thought, how come? Um, We've done a lot of work that. Hasn't like you know we'll
1: trial it out, we'll research and develop. Oh, maybe we can try it with this, and the the process of R and D is can be quite long and quite expensive. We always deal with the full material at the full scale um, mm-hmm. in order to really understand its its ultimate impact. And it's um, so. There's no maquettes,
0: no little. Sometimes yeah. we
1: do maquettes, you know. Yeah. If it's something simple, we you know, you know, it's a wall bracket. Well, yeah. is it, you know, is it faceted or is it edged like yeah. this? Sure, we can try that out. But, um, but I mean, that's really, really necessary to do because yeah. I mean, how else are you going to discover what it's going to be? Here, you're looking at uh, Prometheus Three um which is a which is a beautiful simplistic ring with these
0: crystals that are sort of like bursting out of the edge and how how do people use that type of light cuz i imagine that could be a wall light a yeah. pendant yeah. we we seen it as a
1: wall light and uh, usually it's a pendant mm. um but no that's one of my favorite pieces so you've got you have a ring of quartz crystals uh, diffusing the LED. So you just get this effect that um, the nature is really sort of bursting out. And here we have the simple series, very reductive kind of line work. And again, how did this happen? Well, it was an idea. It was a mm. sketch on a piece of paper, which was just a line. Because you know, basically
0: it's just, just a crucifix. Yeah, pretty much.
1: And so... um it's really interesting the design process can be can be influenced by so many things and Mm. i guess um i mean i aim to be a minimalist but i mean you come to my studio and there's piles of things everywhere and essentially i'm actually a hoarder you know i Mm. love love lots of art deco i love collecting you know interesting rocks geological specimens feathers sticks plants Mm furniture um so i'm quite lucky my studio is big enough to contain <laughs> contain these hoardings
0: but i try to sort of distill that down into the essential elements it must be so hard for a lighting designer because unlike um i mean it has to it can't be just what it looks like mm. it actually has to function for absolutely so, Absolutely. you know there's no idea in produce you know there's no point in producing something that's quite work. quirky but mm. just doesn't work Yeah, I I learned that, um, and I guess
1: I cut my teeth through working with Jeffrey. And, um, Jeffrey had some fantastic shortcuts of (laughs) using, you know, a bit of gaffer here or something there would kind of work. And I guess that's, I guess that's what industrial designers are trained to do. Mm. How will this piece look in 5, 10, 25 years time? How's it going to be relamped?
0: How is that surface going to age? Mm. Will it age gracefully enough? And with technology changing all the time, will it be relevant in 10 years' time Exactly. or is it going to be just a relic? Exactly,
1: exactly. And I think that's an extremely relevant question, especially yeah. in this world today where we have people that, you know, they'll be watching something on a TV show, they'll see that kind of look, they'll try to get something as cheap as possible, they'll sort of throw it in because it's the current fashion mm-hmm. But then they won't consider well it
0: was a veneer or it was, you know, made of a plastic that might um as a, that might age. Um, you know, Christopher, as a as a um specialist in lighting design, do you occasionally think, you know, I've kind of got this under my belt and I'm really interested in developing other products or do you think in this country it's too difficult to become a generalist?
1: Um I don't think we should pigeonhole ourselves too much away now Mm -hmm. that we have this incredible technology where, for example, um, for example, we have social media platforms where word can spread. I don't think we have to be too localized anymore. Um, you know, anyone from around the world can hear what we're saying now. You know, we're not, we're not too stuck within that, um... In, in terms of can this extend into something else? Absolutely. At the moment, I've been approached to do um, a chair for a charity auction for mm-hmm. Cult Design. So we've been given the Series 7 chair by um Hansen. No, oh, Fritz Jack- Hansen. Fritz Hansen, sorry. Yeah. Um, and the point is to decorate the chair in such a manner that we can raise uh funds for charities so so we've been given this chair and so you know series seven very beautiful kind of like steam bent kind of mm. shell it's in raw birch so my concept for it is to is to give the whole backing this almost this feathering
0: sort of texture and crystal
1: and i'm just like
0: why don't i do furniture
1: don't know. You know, it, rem- really had it
0: reminds it. me a little bit what you're talking about, and there's someone you perhaps should look up. Um, someone I've interviewed a couple of times now who's extraordinary is Maurizio Galante. Mm. He's one of the world's leading couturiers, yeah. and he actually works um, in, when you mentioned that chair, in a similar yeah. way with um, people like Balleri. Oh, okay. He does furniture, um, he does all the fabrication, all the detailing. So he's a couturier, and so basically he embosses and adds richness to furniture. Well, why not? I mean, essentially, as designers, Mm.
1: our only limitation is what we place on ourselves. So whether or not that output happens to be something like a light or a wallpaper covering or a textile or a
0: chair, to be honest, it's all the same thing. I mean... Um, Christopher, what's the next project on you apart from the chair that you're doing for the option? Well, if I'm trying to run over what I've got on my table, which is just piles of rocks and
1: like little <laughs> bits of metal and everything, I mean, there's so many ideas that I sort of really want to carry through. I want to further explore uh, bronze casting, which is, mm-hmm. as you know, a very old mm-hmm. technique. Um, I really need to get my hands dirty on that, mm-hmm. you know, work with these kinds of malleable kind of items... The current sort of collection has been very strict, very detailed, very polished, mm. and I'd really love to explore something that is a little bit more, I guess, almost brutalist mm. and more material sort of based. Mm.
0: Um, so I guess it's, it's a bit more of an exploration of that, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Look, Christopher, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's mm. been a pleasure. Thank I've you. absolutely loved seeing your work. I enjoyed you seeing see your work in the showroom for oh, the first bless. time, and um, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about you going forward. Thank you very much. So thanks for coming on the show. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for being here.